Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook. I'm Billy Robb, a high school teacher and your host. I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy Robb's dad. And in this episode of the Political Notebook, we are going to be talking about the news on Russia and also the just the Russian story in, in context. And looking at... Uh, Looking at the news this week, I've just noticed, and I guess ever since the Russian story broke, there's so many competing narratives, you know, left and right, whether you're watching Fox News or CNN, you're, you might be just totally see, seeing and hearing different things. So what I did, I, I prepared a list of things that I, I understand it right now are objectively true. And as I go through this list, um, you can correct or qualify if... Uh, if you feel the need to hear. First, Ru- Russian operatives bought ads on Twitter and Facebook and ran a campaign of fake news in an attempt to confuse American voters in the 2016 election. Um, I, I think it was more to sow discontent and create political agitation uh, as opposed to confuse, but certainly... There's very few anymore who doubt that uh, the Russians tried to influence uh, our election. By buying, buying Facebook and Twitter ads leading up to the election for months, as well as running fake stories through social media? Yes. Okay. And second one, Russian operatives also hacked into uh, the Democratic National Convention emails and then proceeded to kind of slow drip release them via WikiLeaks, also leading up to the up to the election. There remains some on the right who are not persuaded um, that uh, Russia did the deed, um, but they are few. I, I think it's fair to uh, have the discussion uh, based upon the assumption that, yes, it was Russia that hacked the Clinton campaign and the DNC's uh, emails and leaked them. And um, also, this came out after the election, that during the campaign, members of the Trump team, including Don Jr., organized at least one meeting that we know of with the Russian operative with their understanding that they were going to receive opposition research on Hillary Clinton? Uh, It is certainly the case that Don Jr. believed that. Um, The other two participants uh, in the meeting, uh, Jared Kirshner and Paul Manafort, may not have. Uh, The uh, communication between Don Jr. and the other two, with respect to the purpose of the meeting, um, doesn't establish that. But certainly Don Jr. not only thought he was going to get dirt uh, from Clinton, um, but that it was coming from the Russians uh, because of the Russian government's desire to assist the Clinton, the Trump campaign. And he had made also misleading statements about that, as I understand. when it, During the time, he said that that no communication was happening. And then later he changed his story at least once when it was being broke in the, in the news. I haven't carefully looked at what he said when and where, but um, that rings a bell. So, so at the least, uh, he went into a meeting knowingly thinking he was getting opposition research from someone from Russia. From the Russian government. 
And it is also true, as I understand it, that uh, before and after the election of 2016, the FBI had an active investigation going of Russian's role in the election, and that was under FBI Director uh, James, James Comey. Yes. And then, um, and that's the reason, and the reason why uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions had recused himself was that later during a, during a testimony about the Russian influence, he made um, what was found out to be later inaccurate statements about his, his meeting. I, with, I actually think Russians. Session got kind of a bum, bum rap on that. Um, he did not have individual meetings. They were part of group meetings. They were incidental. Um, but certainly that charge was made against Sessions, and I think there was a variety of reasons why, given Sessions' um, leading role in the Trump campaign, uh, he felt compelled to step aside uh, for purposes of overseeing this investigation and subsequent prosecutions. All right. And then Trump, I guess it was four or five months into his term, fired uh, James Comey, uh, which then is the reason why we have a special prosecutor right now, um, Robert Mueller, um, to lead a general investigation into the role Russian played in the 2016 election. Trump himself has <laughs> offered various explanations as to why he fired Comey. Um, and certainly the firing of Comey triggered uh, the appointment of the um, special counsel uh, as Comey indicated was his purpose uh, in leaking certain documents. And, and that was kind of a concern. Uh, the, the acting attorney general, Robert, uh, what was his last name? Rodstein, I think. He's the one that, is that correct? He's the one that appointed Robert Mueller? Yes. And so that, that's why he is, um, he's leading up. So, so that leads us into the news this week that on Monday, it was the first charges that were made. Uh, the indictments that were brought against three three members of of the Trump team: Paul Manafort, who was the campaign director for a while, campaign chairman, I think campaign was chairman for a while. Um, he, he was the head guy, his assistant, and then a lower level uh, guy. But they did work in uh, in terms of kind of an assistant role in terms of foreign policy. That's Papadopoulos. Uh, he was listed as a foreign policy advisor. Um, he was sort of in. He, he wasn't part of the formal campaign apparatus, um, but he was on a list of foreign policy advisors. And so it seemed like that not all the charges related to the Russian investigation, there were a lot of tax stuff, a lot of um, a broad range of charges for, for all three of those people. That's correct? Well, the... Uh, charges against Manafort and his colleague had nothing to do with the election or Russian involvement in it. And that raises um, an eyebrow for those of us who are um, skeptical of this investigation and skeptical of special prosecutors in general. One of the fears about special prosecutors is that they uh, tend to weigh, range pretty far from um, what their original charge was. And Mueller's charge was to investigate Russian um, interference uh, in the election. The charges against Manafort and his colleague 
um, have nothing to do with that. They have to do with uh, tax evasion, money laundering, and failing to register as a representative of a foreign government um, for work they had done prior to the election for Ukraine. What was, uh, and, and those two were indicted. At the same time, Mueller announced a plea agreement that had been reached with George Papadopoulos, the foreign policy advisor, um, who pled guilty to lying about uh, the timing and content of uh, interactions he had had uh, regarding the campaign and the Russian government. So that one was a little bit more on point. Um, and there was one fairly explosive nugget uh, in that particular plea agreement, uh, namely that a London professor with, which, with whom uh, Papadopoulos was interacting uh, told Papadopoulos uh, that the Russian government had dirt on Hillary Clinton, uh, embedded in thousands of emails, and this was months before the hack into the um, Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee became public. The uh, plea agreement, however, doesn't report that Papadopoulos shared that information with the campaign or the campaign did, in, did anything about it. At the same time, it meticulously documents communications between Papadopoulos and the campaign over what was Papadopoulos's main focus, which was to try to arrange a meeting uh, between um, Vladimir Putin, the Russian leader, and uh, Donald Trump. It doesn't appear that this was something that the campaign directed Papadopoulos to do. He was sort of freelancing it. And in the final event, uh, the campaign ultimately decided not to pursue it. Papadopoulos never actually uh, interacted with anybody in the Russian government. He was only dealing with purported intermediaries. Even about that email conversation? Even about that. Use. Yeah, yeah. He, he had no contact, uh, no direct contact with anyone in the Russian government. He was dealing with purported intermediaries. Um, and meeting with a foreign leader isn't illegal for a presidential candidate to do. Trump did that with the president of Mexico. So we've got these, we got these stiff charges unrelated. We'll start Manafort and, and, and Gates. Stiff charges unrelated to the direct scope of the, of the prosecution. And he, he's, he's playing, it seemed like he's kind of playing hardball in different ways. When he first, when he was first investigating Manafort, there was reports that he, that they got a, a search warrant to go just basically go in there and without, without knocking. And right now he's under a pretty stiff, um, I think it's $10 million, um, not bail, but it's a, it's a hold bond. Uh, bond. So it's a, it's a, if he doesn't show up to his, so there's, they think he was a risk to like destroy files when they're investigating him. And now they think he's a risk to not show up at his, um, at his trial. So are, is this, is this hardball tactic? Do you think, are they trying to squeeze these people into 
giving a testimony or sharing something that they know um, about Trump, maybe, or hire different people involved in, in the Trump campaign as a deal? There is some speculation of that. Um, the only person higher than Manafort in the Trump campaign was Trump. Um, is that the target? So um, I don't think so. Um, and uh, ordinarily, you try to squeeze people for additional information before um, you file charges against them. Uh, this, uh, the indictment reads pretty strong. My problem is there's nothing about this indictment that required or warranted a special prosecutor. This is something that the Department of Justice and the FBI could have pursued in the normal um, course of events. Uh, it may be that I turn out to be wrong, um, that indeed Manafort has some kind of information about Trump's uh, and the campaign's dealing with the um, uh, Russian government. I find that implausible. I think there's no compelling evidence of it. And given how everything in the world is leaked in this investigation, uh, if there was something compelling, I think it would have come out. Um, so I may be proven wrong, uh, but my impression at this point is that this is just trying to um, slam the door in Manafort for a fairly serious violation. I mean, we're talking uh, well over $10 million uh, that Manafort is alleged to have laundry laundered into the United States without paying income taxes on it um, and that he misrepresented uh, the work that he was doing in the United States on behalf of the Ukrainian government those are pretty serious charges in and of themselves so there's there's serious charges maybe we can fault Trump for hiring shady people to to work for him there's if, if your object is to drain the, the swamp <laughs> <laughs> Paul Mandeford wouldn't be top on the list of plumbers. Right. And going back to a, to a previous point about the, about the Facebook ads, the Twitter ads, and the, and the fake news, there was a hearing this week. Twitter and Facebook and Google showed up to testify to the Senate uh, about what they knew. There's been news coming out the last few weeks about how much money was spent by Russian operatives on ads and also how much, how many eyeballs were on those. And it's pretty, to me, there was, you know, millions of people who saw these, saw these ads. You don't think that those were directed at electing Trump? I think they were elect, they were directed at more than that. And I do think that they undermine the, judgment that the um, intelligence community has proffered that uh, what was occurring in the Russian interference in our election uh, was the primary motivation was to elect Trump and defeat Clinton. Now, there were objective reasons for Russia to prefer that result. Uh, Clinton was uh, saying that she would pursue a harder uh, course of action against Russia uh, Trump obviously was looking for some kind of reconciliation and working relationship uh, with Russia. Um, but it appears that the ads uh, were aimed at inflaming 
political discourse in the United States. They were aimed at both the left and the right. Um, they were uh, pro-conservative issues, pro-liberal issues, pro-Clinton, pro-Trump, uh, pro, uh, or rather anti-Clinton, anti-Trump. Um, so I think it is, uh, it's, it's more appearing to me uh, that it wasn't that, that, that electing Trump and defeating uh, Hillary Clinton uh, was not the organizing principle behind the interference. It was to inflame political discord in the United States, create a lack of confidence uh, in our political system and our democracy, and to raise questions about the legitimacy of the outcome irrespective of what it, of what it might be. And towards those goals, if that's what they were trying to do, have they been successful? Have they were trying to disrupt, disrupt our democracy, attempting to undermine our democracy, make people confused, divide us as a country, fire us up? Has, has their attack, their cyber attack, you could say, on us, uh, has been successful? I, I think there's a huge paradox here. Um, I uh, do not believe that uh, the Russian activity during the election affected the outcome. Um, and I certainly don't think these ads, um, which were primarily aimed at people who already had a strong point of view, they weren't aimed at undecided voters, um, I don't think had any impact despite the number of eyeballs that might have seen them. Rather than silly Russian ads, they would have been looking at silly ads by someone else on the same side of... of the fence. Mm -hmm. Certainly there's an argument that um, the leak of uh, the emails might have influenced some votes. I'm even skeptical about that, but that was a big, that was a big thing. Uh, and certainly to the extent that it caused uh, Comey to have an on and off again investigation of Hillary Clinton, exonerate her, then say she was backed un under suspicion a few weeks before the election, I, and there's some suggestion that this all started uh, with Russian disinformation campaign aimed at the FBI. Uh, then you could say it did have an effect, but generally I don't think so. I mean, you, 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 you had uh, blue-collar, lower-middle-class voters in the Midwest who had voted for Obama, who decided they'd had enough, and they voted for Trump. And I don't think any of this played there. Now, the investigation uh, by Mueller and Trump's reaction to it uh, can... I mean, we've been a divided country for a very long time. But in terms of inflaming the passion... Uh, the firing of, of Comey, the hiring of Robert Mueller, the investigations, Trump denouncing it as a witch hunt. Uh, and certainly if Trump now takes any actions to try to impede uh, Mueller's uh, investigation, uh, I think that could really serious inflame things. So paradoxically, it may be that the greatest success that they have is triggering the investigation into what the Russians did. And that's... But that is that's sowing discord in our democracy. If that's your goal, you know they're not. They weren't necessarily planning the step by step process which would work, but that the ads and the fake news and 
the division now, the investigation, like you said, and the and Trump's reaction to it, and now the right wing media is reacting even more strongly uh, right now. And then, it, regard, I, I guess not regardless of that, but taking that into into consideration, I guess taking a step sideways or back, and what we're, what we're I'm wondering how serious this this is. We're, we're bickering so much about the FBI, about um, who did what, to what campaign. Are we losing sight of what seems to me to be a very serious thing, that a foreign country did a organized and um, intentional cyber attack um, to intend to disrupt our, our democracy? Is that Should that be our focus on defending against that in the future and making sure it doesn't happen again and making, making sure our systems are protected from I, that. I, I would divide the, the Russian activities into two categories. Um, the Soviet Union and the Russians uh, have conducted disinformation campaigns uh, directed at Western democracies um, for decades. Um, so uh, the ads and organizing fake um, protests on both the left and the right uh, isn't really something new. The, the technique that they use to do it, using Facebook and others, is. Yes, we should take that seriously, but I think it's on the margins of our politics, and I don't think it's particularly influential. A foreign government hacking uh, the emails of a presidential campaign, that's serious stuff. Uh, and uh, that should, to, to the extent there was anyone's, anyone remained in doubt that Mitt Romney was right and Barack Obama was wrong about the nature of Russia and whether it is a friend or a threat, uh, that should have resolved it. So that's, that, I think, is serious, and it is too bad uh, that... The unity that should come about to protest that and to figure out what we do about that has been sidetracked by inflamed uh, discord as a result of the investigation and Trump's reaction to it. We're a deeply divided country, uh, and our politics are full of discord, uh, but the Mueller investigation and Trump's reaction to it has the potential of creating a constitutional crisis of monumentally serious proportions. So that is very worrisome. And one thing I, I guess one thing I've appreciated about reading your columns, even though you seem to be calm always when all this news was blasting, was that I knew that when, when you sounded the alarm, when, when you sound the alarm, because you've been so cautious, that's something to take seriously. There's been so many alarms sounding. Every single time one news story comes in, you know, you think the world's going to end. Um, so that I think it's good to have cautious voices to be to be ready. Like, okay, when when these people start sounding the alarm, uh, we know that to be true. My my, I guess my big concern is, I know this is maybe the same as some taxes before, but we just live in a whole new era of of technology and. We use it for for everything. If, if you're ever at work and the and the internet shuts down, you basically just stop working until until it goes back up. Um, and 
I'm, my concern is that this is the kind of opening salvo of a whole different types of cyber attacks that could be uh, that could be launched in different ways. This maybe is the the first one in this in this method. And I know that Facebook, Twitter, everyone's trying to kind of scramble. I don't know what you do. I don't know what the solutions are, but I do think that needs to be taken very seriously, knowing that all you know important every single important thing we do now is is online. And we're going to just keep adding more and more important functions of our democracy in our lives. And and I think that's a fair point. I, I would just observe that um, while everything we do that is important is online, everything that we do online is not important. And um, these silly Russian ads um, designed to inflame, uh, I think, simply shared space with silly ads that we would have produced on our own accord. So, and, and, and it may be that I am downplaying uh, that threat, particularly um, to your generation, which relies on these sources uh, for their information. And it may be that I am underplaying not the importance of the ad, but the importance of the fake news that uh, Russians systematically tried to place during the course of the campaign. So I accept your um, suggestion uh, that perhaps my caution is excessive. And I'm sure there'll be no, more, uh, more breaking stuff and more developments as we, um, as we continue. Um, I was going to ask whether you were alive when the first televised debate happened between JFK and Nixon. I was. I I was um, six years old uh, and undoubtedly fixated and following every word. I don't know whether you've seen the... uh, Have you seen it on television? Yes. What what is really remarkable to me about it uh, is, first of all, how well-informed and articulate both... uh, John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon were, but also that the journalists who now hog the show and think that the debates are about them um, were anonymous. Uh, Their backs were to the camera. You did not see their face. And they asked no gotcha questions. All their questions were designed to elicit uh, information from the candidates and highlight differences between them. Uh, it's it's frankly something that should shame us today right. at how much our political debates have um, shrunken uh, in their credibility and their informative content. Um, glad you brought that up. <laughs> well, our next Twitter Twitter debate, two thousand twenty. Hopefully not. <laughs> um, well, thanks thanks again for listening. We're now. We start on SoundCloud. We're still on SoundCloud, but you can now also find us on iTunes. iTunes in the um, in the App Store the podcast download. You can subscribe to it if you're on an iPhone. Also, we're on Google Play. I understand the app doesn't work as well, but you can find us on Google Play Music uh, on your Android phone to subscribe. Thank you.